course, this is Advent uh, season, and we have a, a sermon series we're doing for the Advent season. We're calling it Jesus and Modern Christmas. And uh, one thing that we all know about uh, sort of the modern Christmas season, it can feel very busy and stressful. And in this passage, we see Jesus address a very busy and stressed out person. And if you have felt busy and stressed in the last few weeks, then listen up. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's word. Today's reading comes from Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. God, we're grateful for your word, and we're grateful that you sent your son, the word, uh, to us to live among us and to bring us good news. Uh, We pray that here as we look at this passage, we would hear directly uh, from your son, Jesus, and hear uh, his good news, uh, that he loves us, that he died for us, that he is making us new. Help us to receive that and live in that truth this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On the internet, I read this confession from an American mom. This is what she writes. I used to always be completely overwhelmed at the holidays. Overwhelmed by a desire for sparkly decorations and shiny lights, but I only ended up with marrow-sucking exhaustion. Any given afternoon in November or December would go something like this. I would snatch the boys up the moment school was out, no time for play on the playground, talk with friends, or anything else fun. We'd race here before zooming there to find the perfect morsel of food, decorating item, or gift that I thought would create the perfect holiday for everyone. And after maybe or maybe not finding what I thought I desperately needed, I'd roar into the driveway like Cruella DeVille scouting a new litter of puppies. I'd slap some crummy meal on the table and we'd scarf it down before I took on the role of bedtime drill sergeant. My calendar was overflowing with things that I didn't really enjoy with people I didn't know very well. As a mom, I wanted to make things super special for my friends and family. I wanted to follow all the old traditions and create new traditions. What she realized is that instead she was ruining the season for herself and her family. Now, maybe you can relate to this, mom. Maybe this is your reality right now, or maybe this was your experience growing up. Being in leadership in our church for over 10 years, I know firsthand how busy you all are in December. Uh, You might be traveling, or you might be hosting family. There's decorating, shopping, parties, baking, pictures, cards, traditions, crafts, events, on and on it goes. And so as a church, we choose not to add to the burden by, trying, by, by planning extra events, and, and we usually counsel our ministries to take a break in December. But even if this holiday scenario doesn't ring a bell, our subject still applies to you because it isn't only an issue for the holiday season. A doctor of internal medicine at Mass General Hospital in a Boston Globe column wrote this. 
in the past few years, I've observed an epidemic of sorts, patient after patient suffering from the same condition. The symptoms of this condition include fatigue, irritability, insomnia, anxiety, headaches, heartburn, bowel disturbances, back pain, and weight gain. There are no blood tests or x-ray diagnostics for this condition, and yet it's easy to recognize. The condition is excessive busyness. What is going on with us in our culture? Why are we like this? And is there a solution for this busyness that many of us are drowning in? That's what we're talking about this morning, and we'll look at how Jesus interacts with a a particularly busy person, Martha. And what we see in this passage is that Jesus doesn't necessarily say to Martha, slow down or simplify your life or ruthlessly prioritize what you need to prioritize. He doesn't say that. So instead, we're going to look at it through two main points, asking what is the heart of this busyness and what do we do about it? So first, What is the heart of this busyness? And surprisingly, it's self-imposed. First, I need to give you some context and background. It's important to see that Martha is doing lots of good. In fact, nothing technically wrong. Since she is the one who welcomed Jesus into her home, she is the head of her household and has a home that could host a religious celebrity. That means she is likely financially independent, a part of the ancient middle or upper class. In fact, Jesus instructed his disciples to find people like Martha in the villages they go to, people of peace, and remain in their house while evangelizing the village. Basically, Martha and people like her were the bedrock of local Christian ministry and eventually the local house church. Verse 40 says, Martha was distracted with much serving. Now, you might think of her as being in the kitchen preparing the first century equivalent of the cheese plate and bacon-wrapped dates and peeled shrimp with cocktail sauce. She's all alone in the kitchen while everyone else is out in the parlor listening to this awesome dude, Jesus, and she feels left out and wants some help. But remember, Martha's probably financially independent. That means she likely has servants. They are the ones preparing the food. But Martha is responsible for all the aspects of hospitality, of welcoming a rabbi and alerting the village to it, to his presence. The word used here for serve is where we get our word deacon. Martha is likely doing ministry, whether it's inviting people to come hear Jesus or making sure the level of hospitality in her household measures up for a prophet like Jesus. Martha is playing the role of a committed disciple, She is about good things. And so is her sister Mary. Luke tells us that Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to his teaching. Now, we might not think twice about this description, but this was the posture of a disciple of a rabbi. Except there were no women disciples of rabbis. So Mary is breaking some boundaries here, but Martha also is breaking some boundaries in that she is the lead for ministry in her village. Two women both living out the picture of faithful discipleship. So, which one is better, Mary or Martha? The active life or the contemplative life? I think approaching the passage this way as it has been over the years is a mistake. Like most things in the Bible, this is about the heart. And specifically in this case, the heart of Martha. And I think we can see a lot of similarities between our hearts and Martha's heart. 
Martha is described much like the modern busy person and that the modern busy person's stress is self-induced, right? She's distracted, anxious, and troubled. But interestingly enough, we are likely, likely the least busy humans in history, right? Because most humans had to work their fingers to the bone just to survive and maintain a subsistence living. We don't have those concerns, Our busyness is self-imposed, like Martha's. Luke tells us that Martha was distracted with much serving. Martha is stressed about important but routine things. You can tell from the response Jesus gives her. Martha says to Jesus, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? And Jesus in reply says to her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but only one thing is necessary. Now, this is not God's response to cancer or war or the death of a child. When we cry out to God, don't you care that something terrible has happened and I'm suffering? God's reply isn't, hey, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but only one thing is necessary. No, that's, that's not his response. Jesus weeps with Martha when it was time to weep over her dead brother, Lazarus in John 11. There are clearly legitimate reasons for distraction and anxiety and being troubled. But you get the sense from Jesus that he's saying to Martha, you're doing this to yourself. Your heart needs attention. Martha faced all kinds of pressure and expectations. There were the extreme cultural demands of hospitality the burden of being a community leader in the village, the religious expectations of how to host a rabbi or prophet, then all the family baggage of being sisters with Mary. Who knows their complicated history? Martha absorbs all of this, takes all of this on herself, and then lashes out at Jesus and Mary. Right? She confronts Jesus, basically says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Right, who is Martha doing this for all along? Well, Jesus, supposedly. Right, she invites him into her home, and then she accuses him of injustice. And then she orders him, giving Jesus a command, saying, tell her then to help me. Martha is giving the Son of God commands. Somehow Jesus has failed to be good, and she knows better. Does this remind you of anyone? There are cultural, familial, personal, religious expectations around all kinds of things like the holidays or work or vacation or free time on the weekends, whatever. We feel distracted, anxious, troubled about all these things we think are so important. And then we end up lashing out at the people who are most important. How many times have I yelled at my girls, Leave daddy alone so he can write a sermon for God's people, right? For many of us, the things we busy ourselves with become the ends themselves. If our culture rewards work and fitness, we busy ourselves with that. If awesome food and vacations get likes on social media, we busy ourselves with that. If our culture simply values busyness and looks down on stillness, we busy ourselves with busyness. Many of us fear not being busy. Distracted, anxious, troubled has become a status symbol and badge of honor. I noticed this myself 
and how college students have changed. I went to college at Duke University in North Carolina. That's not too shabby of a school. In the mid-1990s. And when I was there, what was socially rewarded was being chill. Partying, but also slyly on the side, being at the top of your class. Never let them see you sweat. Right? That was just in the air that we breathed. And in the late aughts, last decade, I spent a lot of time with Stanford students. And they seemed the complete opposite. You had to be stressed and anxious. If you weren't, you were doing something wrong. You weren't working hard enough. You weren't going to get that internship or the coveted postdoc. Being distracted, anxious, and troubled told you that while you might not know exactly where you're going, you were at least on the right track. We just assume that success and the right track must be filled with stress and busyness. Most of the things we busy, busy ourselves with are good. Work, recreation, family, friends, church, exercise, service. But they can become an end in themselves. We start out doing these things for good reasons. Loved ones, God, whatever. And then it really becomes about us. Martha is doing good things. She's trying to facilitate her village hearing the good news about God's kingdom from Jesus himself. There aren't many better things you can be about. And she ends up lashing out at the literal heart of the good news because it had become about her. This was self-induced and self-imposed. So this isn't a question about active versus contemplative living. This is about motive, orientation, and identity, the heart. And Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha, You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. And again, I don't think Jesus is saying to Martha that what she is busy with is unimportant, that she should just set everything aside and and sit down like Mary. But Mary is doing something that is commendable. What is it? What is this one thing that is necessary that Martha needs as well? Well, I believe it is this. Jesus is saying to her and to us, you have to give yourself to me before you can give yourself for me. And that's the second point. Give yourself to Jesus before giving yourself for Jesus. How many times in marriages or in parent-child relationships, in the middle of a conflict, someone will say, I'm doing this all for you. I'm sacrificing to make your life better, right? It can be about putting so much time into, into a career to afford nice things or, or putting so much work into having a beautiful Christmas, whatever. I'm doing this all for you. And oftentimes what a neglected spouse or a neglected child feels like saying is, I don't want your service or your work, I want you. See, when we sacrifice so much of ourselves for people before giving ourselves to them, we get bitter because we're expecting gratitude for service that wasn't asked of us. Or we begin to give ourselves to that activity or sacrifice, like work. We start off working so hard for our family that we end up ultimately giving ourselves to our work. This is one of the narrative arcs of the TV show Breaking Bad about the chemistry teacher, Walter White, who who ends up cooking and selling crystal meth. 
right? He got into the drug business because he thought he had terminal cancer and he wanted to leave some money for his wife and kid. But over the course, but of course, as the seasons progress, Walter builds up this drug empire, turning into someone different or or maybe the person he always really was. But he always justified it by saying he was doing it for his family. On the series finale, the last episode, right before he's about to die, Walter speaks with his now estranged wife, Skylar, whose life he's ruined. And Walter says, Skylar, all the things that I did, you need to understand. And Skylar interrupts, says, if I have to hear one more time that you did this for the family. And then Walt interrupts her, I did it for me. I liked it. I was good at it. And I was really, I was alive. See, Walter finally was honest with himself and his wife. We can start off with such good intentions, being busy, giving ourselves away for good things like family, friends, God, country. But over time, we find that we give ourselves to our busyness because we're not first giving ourselves to those things worth sacrificing for. What you give yourself to will always trump what you give yourself for. Martha is giving herself to her busyness and expectations set upon her, since that is what is clearly consuming her emotions. I'm doing this for Jesus, she's thinking. Whereas at some point, this really became about her, which is why she's angry at him. When we give ourselves for Jesus before we give ourselves to Jesus, it all becomes about us. And some of, the, some of us here this morning have given a lot of ourselves for Jesus, have sacrificed a lot for him, and feel like we've gotten very little in return. We might be constantly distracted, anxious, troubled, and wonder, I've given myself away for you, Jesus, where are you? People take advantage of us. Jesus doesn't seem to notice or care. Jesus doesn't come through for us when we need him. We end up serving resentfully, and all the while knowing that Resentful service isn't really service at all. So we reach some kind of stalemate. Some leave the faith, some just resign themselves to a very cool, formal relationship. One of my pastor friends who lives across the country shared this story on our pastor's Facebook group this past week. He, he tells us that for the last, this is what he writes, for the last five years, a member of our church never attended worship, never attended, but he stops by the church office one week every December and drops off tithe checks written every two weeks of the calendar year, right? 26 checks he drops off but never shows up to church. Two years ago, I intercepted him and asked, why do you do this? And the guy said, well, God only commands 10%. And I said, well, he also commands you to worship him with the assembly of saints and hear the preached word and participate in sacraments on a weekly basis. He said, yeah, that might be true. I said, God doesn't want your money, he wants your heart. The guy left, and I never saw or heard from him again. He didn't show up last December to give his checks, and he still hasn't been to worship. But then this last week, he shows up with two years of tithe checks dated every two weeks, right, 52 checks. So my buddy tries depositing the checks in the bank, but of course the bank can't process two-year-old checks. So someone from the church calls this guy and explains the situation. The guy says, well, he'll come by the church office with one check, but only when the pastor isn't there. 
See, I, I don't know the whole story about this guy, but it sure sounds like he was giving away some of himself for Jesus, but not giving any of himself to Jesus. See, many of us are metaphorically dropping off our checks every two weeks for God. We put in some time and effort for him, but we don't give ourselves to him. And then we wonder why he isn't more relevant and powerful in our lives. Is Jesus in your house or not? See, Martha invited Jesus into her house. We can assume she gladly received him. And at some point, she's rushing around, lashing out at him, giving him orders. If you are a Christian, you have already invited Jesus into your house. He's in your house, your life, your heart. Do we Christians understand that? Jesus is sitting there in our family room and we're rushing about every once in a while yelling him as we're hurrying by, why won't you help me? Why don't you notice me? Do something here. Jesus is in your house. He wants you. He wants your heart. And that's why Mary is the positive example here. She is giving herself to Jesus before giving herself for Jesus. Now maybe you're here and you're not a Christian and you're wondering, well, why would I do this in the first place? Why would I even want Jesus in my house, in my heart? Why would you open the door to Jesus? Well, here's one reason why. In the list of greatest human beings in history, even non-Christians put Jesus near the top. For argument's sake, let's say he's the goat, greatest of all time. Not only that, he's also God, the most powerful being in the universe, fine. He comes into Martha's home, he comes into your home, and he says, don't worry about serving me, come to me and rest. Let me serve you. Imagine a great president or general or athlete or scholar doing the same, no, 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 don't serve me, let me serve you. These people have all become accustomed to a high level of service and respect, They know their place and expect to be treated accordingly. But the God of the universe stoops down to serve us, asking for our hearts. What does Jesus want most from you? He wants you, your heart, not your service. Give yourself to Jesus before giving yourself for Jesus. And here's the thing, when that happens, when you give yourself to Jesus, he gives himself back to you and he will not be taken from you, right? Jesus says, Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. We give ourselves to career, glory, fame, holiness, and it destroys us. These things swallow us up when we give ourselves to them. The closest we can come to this is is giving ourselves to a spouse in marriage. Many marriages don't last. And all that do last are highly imperfect. Only with Jesus can you give yourself away to him and expect him to give himself fully to you in return, never to be taken away. He will love you steadily, faithfully, unconditionally for life. He gives his whole self to you, dwelling in you by his spirit. Jesus wants you, and if you want him back, you have him. If you give yourself to him, you'll receive all of him in return. Do that first 
early and often. Then go give yourself away for him in service to your heart's content. Let me close with a concrete example from my life or how this can work. Sunday mornings are busy mornings for a pastor, particularly in our church where we have intentionally not created multiple layers between people and pastor. We don't have building on autopilot. We don't have a massive staff. So in our context, the buck stops with the pastors, me and Stephen. We can't help but feel personally responsible for everything that happens here on Sunday morning. And it's not easy, right? This is a major event every week with the same people proclaiming the same basic message within the same format. We are intentionally rejecting our culture's obsession with entertainment, newness, and attention-grabbing. And this event, Sunday worship, seems the most important for the existence and flourishing of this church, Grace South Bay, and therefore our family's flourishing here in Silicon Valley. All this is to say, Sunday morning is the time for me to be distracted, anxious, and troubled. I can easily be like Martha on Sunday morning. And a few months ago, right as the service was starting, I was outside those doors, someone called me on it. They said, Bob, you don't look good. Are you okay? You seem so wound up. And I realized I was doing no one any good by approaching Sunday morning the way I was. So I instituted a new routine. At 8.40 every Sunday morning, just as preparations are wrapping up, and it's go time to be out here solving any of the five things that have just gone wrong. And I still need to get some more edits done on my sermon. I still might need to do some work. This is precious time. At that time, instead, I close the door to my office and I turn out the lights. And sitting in my chair for five to 10 minutes, I try to sit at Jesus' feet. Not interceding for any of you, not praying about uh, my sermon or uh, asking for last minute inspiration, just trying to draw near to Jesus, to give myself to him. And kind of in a meditation type way, I focus on the stories of him and the disciples out on the Sea of Galilee. I ask him into the boat or I ask him to call me out into the waves. I just wanna be with him. And after I do that for a while, then I'm ready to say a brief prayer for the worship service. And the second time I did this, a few months ago, God said something to me in response. Now this doesn't happen regularly for me. This wasn't an audible voice, but it was a message directed at my heart. And I trust it because it's thoroughly biblical. After I, drew, after I drew near to Jesus and was then praying, this is what he said to me in return. Bob, you are not on trial. You are not on trial. Can you imagine how good that was for a pastor to hear before Sunday worship? If I know I'm not on trial, then I can handle demands, complications, things going wrong. I can handle all that with grace and hope, even restfully. And I imagine most of us in this room feel like we are on trial, at least in one major aspect of our lives. 
But if you give yourself to Jesus, you will hear the good news from him that you are no longer on trial because he stood trial for us and took on the cross whatever guilt or punishment or shame we are due. So because of Jesus, you are no longer on trial. That's what Jesus is saying here to Martha. Even in the way that he addresses her, Martha, Martha. It's a loving, gentle rebuke. Martha, you're feeling and acting like you're on trial. But you're not on trial. I love you. Come and be with me. Give yourself to me before you give yourself for me. That's what Jesus says to all of us at Christmas time and all year long. Don't beat yourself up about being busy, but start your busyness, interrupt it regularly by giving yourself to Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this word. And we thank you that you call to us uh, and patiently knock and ask us to open the door to you. And we uh, pray that you would help us to invite you in and to receive you and to give ourselves to you, knowing that you give yourself fully to us. We are grateful for this exchange. We are grateful that you give us new life and you have taken us out of trial. You took the trial for us. We are grateful for that. Help us to live these new lives of rest and peace in the midst of doing tons of things, in the midst of busyness. Help us to be giving ourselves first to you that we might go through our lives with grace and trust and hope and righteousness. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.